Shall we try some Q&A? Anyone have any thoughts? Any thoughts around that or anything else if you'd like to ask? So how can we use Vipassana meditation to investigate repetitive craving, repetitive habits without getting into analytical thought? Does that sort of cover it? Yeah. Yeah, so the word investigate itself seems like that I'm thinking about it, right? And maybe another way to look at this idea to investigate or contemplate is to to see it uh, to notice cause and effect as it arises and changes. So I can inv- I can investigate. I can watch and 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 notice and investigate the nature of the hummingbird uh, feeding on my bird feeder. So I observe, and then I see how it comes in, how it flutters, how it settles. How it sips, looks around, looks up in the air, you know. So, so I'm investigating something not through, through thought, but through observation, through time, through cause and effect, right? So I use some thought, and uh, to to place my mind on the the thing I want to contemplate. So the thought here is very simple: What is the behavior of a hummingbird? How does it behave? And if I if I jump to conclusions, then I won't really watch. I won't notice anything. So I have to let go of my conclusions and now observe, observe in time. And then from that, I start to get insights into the the way the patterns that the hummingbird flies. Uh, not many, but enough that I now have a sense of how hummingbirds feed in the feeder. And I've never had a hummingbird feeder. So I know more about hummingbirds. And so then afterwards, I can talk about it. You know, I can say to you, hummingbirds do this, this, or that. Um, so in the same way, cyclic habits of craving and attachment are pernicious. You know, they're strong. They have, they have, as we say, strong karma. And they're very hard to not get caught up into. So the project has to be it has to be a project, first of all, maybe, you put it that way. The project to to now observe these the structures and nature of this particular animal huh? uh, in a way that you give yourself permission to let it become conscious rather than to figure it out or get rid of it. And that's placing, like, it, you, 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 you place your attention, you make the intention to try to notice the arising of the craving. That's the kind of basic intention. Or you make the basic intention to notice the activity once you're in it <coughs> and to make that conscious. So you use the, the same idea that I said, notice the feeling in your, in your knee, say, and you become conscious of knee sensations. So you use that same exercise, which is simple. Now you apply it to something much more complicated, a... Uh, uh, a habit which is quick and which o- overtakes awareness. So you start to put intentions into your mind that when that arises or when I notice that's happening, I'm trying to become fully conscious of what this feels like, which is different than trying to figure it out. Right? So if you get, if you get that principle of making conscious uh, and you keep doing that, you do that exercise with the ordinary, you keep doing that, 
so that when you make the suggestion for the extraordinary, you've already got the skill. So you do it with like listening to sound and then make conscious sound. Okay, this is what he means by making conscious, just this, waiting. Then all of a sudden you find you're in the habit, you're lost in it. Your habit will be, oh God, what am I doing? Why should, you know, right? And But now, hopefully, you've put enough intention in and you're saying, yeah, yeah, but what is, what is it What is it to be conscious of this now? So now you're starting to go against the flow of the self-judgments and the re- reaction to the reaction, as it were. And now you're starting to get some space and mindfulness around the habit itself. So you have to keep making those suggestions. Keep making them. Uh, and, and, and do them in situations where you're not uh, subject to the habit. I think that's important. You do it... You under- like in Dharma, when you understand one thing in one area, it transfers to all areas. So understanding what it means to be fully conscious in, in the ordinary you start to get the skill in the extraordinary, right? Uh, then within that, uh, you try to then see this habit not as a, as, as a mental pattern maybe, but how else could I look at it? First of all, how else could I look at it? Well, I could look at my aversion to it, my liking or disliking of it. Could I become conscious of that? Right? So, so you make that suggestion. Um, become conscious of the aversion to the habit because that's what it usually is and the, the had, habit kidnaps you you find you're oh god they're out again I shouldn't be like this and then, then there's the aversion to it so you make conscious the habit and then okay I'm trying to make conscious but what does he mean by aversion or, or what, what is my what is my attitude so it's like the heat again take something unpleasant physically some physical pain and notice so this is unpleasant I'll become conscious of unpleasant. Do it where it's not threatening, then do it where it's complicated. So get to, get to and this is we call um, practicing with dukkha, vedana. We practice with dukkha, vedana. We practice with a feeling of unpleasantness, consciously. Not, that doesn't mean you have to sleep on a bed of nails, right? right. So when, when something unpleasant comes up, just kind of make conscious, oh, this is unpleasant. I don't want this. And, and say, so, oh, this is a feeling of not wanting. Try to get good at that, you know, whether you're in a dental office waiting for something or whatever it is, and then that will give you more strength around this tendency of trying to get rid of. Um, Then when you feel the unpleasant in the ordinary, learn to welcome it. Right? So like you get like pain in the knee, so okay, come on, you can stay for an hour. Not not through you know hurting yourself, but now you're saying, Oh, it's okay, come on, let's let's have you. That instruction should help you with all tendencies to try to get rid of and annihilate. So you're, you're training yourself in, in skillful attitudes around something which is very, very powerful. So you make the suggestion, first of all, what is it really like to feel this? What is it like? What is it like in the body? Now, when you, when you, do, when you finally become conscious of it now, without trying to get rid of it, then you'll start to see its bodily component, the tension in the body, the drama in the heart or in the mind or whatever, you start to see it much more objectively. Once you're there, you're free. Then you just then it's just karma. <laughs> then it's going to come up a lot because it's been in, uh, in, in ingrained into the mind through habit, but now you know the path. You know it as an object. You're no longer the subject. Huh? Then your, your habit was to go back to analysis. 
Because that's what our culture does. Our culture thinks that by figuring it out, I'll get rid of it. If I get to the roots of it, I'll get rid of it. If I just keep knocking my head around, I'll get rid of it. But what you do is just reinforce its reality. You reinforce a sense of self around it. I am someone who has a problem. And the Dharma, it's not, it's not a problem. It's just unpleasant. Right? It's just a habit you have to bear with. Huh? And, and the not, not wanting to bear with it is the craving. So if you take it to the Four Noble Truths then, what is the problem? It's at some point you wake up to the habit, right? At some point you notice it, and then you don't want it. And that's the attachment to the craving. And then in the not wanting, your mind then tries to figure out, okay, how can I not have this happen again? How can I get rid of this? You can't prevent it from not coming up again. It's just not nature. It's just not nature. Because its nature is to be that way. But what you can do is not believe in it and bear witness to it. And that's the ideas of purification. So, you know, like I talk all about fear, right? And the fears I've been through. I couldn't get rid of the fears. But now they don't come up much. So they, they ran their own energy according to their own karma. But all I could do is, is to get right understanding and right mindfulness around it. When I, once I understood that, and then suggestions like Ajahn Sumedho's It All Belongs and things like that, then more and more I had confidence, okay, I just feel terror. <laughs> or I'm just afraid, or I'm just nervous, or I'm just anxious, and oh yeah, and body awareness, it was okay. But the purification took years, really did. I mean, it's just years and years of just shaking in my boots. You know? <laughs> and, but but that, you know, that wasn't my fault, it was no one's fault. It was just the karma of this, this mind, the way it had been conditioned. And getting to that point that it's okay to feel to feel this way is, is hard because of the judgment. So there's a, then there's a compounding of the problem, the aversion to the aversion to the aversion to the, the fear of the fear of the fear. So when, when your mind takes it to thought, just say, no, what is it like before thought? Just like give up thought. Not give up the project of observing. This okay. Well, I know this is here now, but what's it like before I think about it? That's a very good suggestion. And all those suggestions are intentions. You get just better and better at it. So whatever the habit is, you're better at it than you were ten years ago. Yeah, I think probably we all are. <laughs> it's just powerful karma. Some of these things are very, very powerful. Um, that's what I keep reminding the monks, because you know we all have our, we're, we're strong men, and we have strong opinions and we have strong karma, and I just keep reminding everyone, just just be patient with each other, just be patient, you know, you'll work it out, because <laughs> they kind of come to me and say, do you know what happened? To me? <laughs> so then you look at, like, look at the 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 underlying attitude. Is the attitude of compassion? Wanting to understand, or is it just being fed up? You know, if it's being fed up, then 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 that's going to be aversion. But if it's really, oh, I'm really curious about this. What's this really like? Then bring that curiosity to bodily energy. Um, like understand. Okay, what do you you know? Let's say I'm feeling really fearful. Okay, what's fear really like now? What is it really like to feel this? That's awareness rather than judgment to get rid of it. Yeah. So there's a social situation, and you want to fix it. And your mind keeps going to that. Uh, the habit. Yeah, it's like you see a train wreck happening. You don't want it to happen, but it's still happening, right? <laughs> and it's horrible. And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. 
the the reflections on uh, on the four Brahma Viharas, the fourth, all beings are the owners of their karma, heir to their karma, born of their karma, whatever karma they should do for good or for ill of that, they will be the heirs. That's one that Westerners don't pick up so easily. And yet, if it's done skillfully, it brings you to equanimity if it's combined with compassion. You know, beings are working through their stuff in some way. I find that really, you know, when I started to talk to people about Dharma, I found it really hard not to try to fix all their problems. So, you know, we all, all of us in these kinds of situations. And yet that just made me more uptight and didn't really help, right? So that reflection, yeah, beings are owners to their karma in, in a mysterious way, which I don't understand. That sometimes that's very helpful, that reflection. Yes. Well, just go back to the idea of, of, of karma. The idea of karma in Buddhism is a mind continuum. So the idea of a national karma doesn't exist or a racial karma. So to say that that the, the, the karma of white people uh, to the black Indians, certainly there's a social consequence, but when we talk about karma, it's strictly about uh, the mind continuum. But, but in terms of you know, what we're dealing with, we're dealing with the end of suffering rather than, than the social issues, which have to be dealt with. But so like a, a French-Canadian would be conditioned in a different way, his mind continuum would be conditioned a different way to noble sergeant and British and so on. Um, but these ideas of like a national karma and so on, certainly there's a national karma in the sense that uh, a Thai person is conditioned different than a than a Canadian. But that's in the in the individual mindset. Um, and those larger ideas are social ideas, which are important. But in terms of like the four noble truths. What we're talking about is just the continuum of stuff, the, the, the way we react. And so that includes our familial conditioning, maybe past lives, our cultural conditioning, national conditioning, and gender conditioning. All that creates me and you right now. Um, but in, in, in terms of, of grace and beauty and so on, um, actually, a, a friend that was here, he's not here now, uh, he, he drove Ajahn Sumedho back from the airport last time. And he's a he's a he's a very gentle person. He speaks very gently, and he's got a gentle heart. And the, he was just telling me yesterday. He, he reminded me, Lompa Sumedho, Ajahn Sumedho, our teacher from, he's, he's an American teacher. He asked him. He said, "So, you're so gentle. How did you survive?" <laughs> Which was, and yesterday I was in the, with him in Lee Valley, and there was this Indian man, who was serving. And I wanted to ask him the question. He's very gentle. He's into Advaita Vedanta. And I said, I was going to say, how did you survive? <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I can't, because I've lived a monk all my adult life, I, I don't have any, have any clear answers. But, but um, as much as possible to get yourself out of toxic environments. So as much as possible to live with uh, like-minded people. As much as possible to live in moral environments as much as possible to live in cultures which are respect each other if you're living in Syria you know none of that's possible so you've got a different practice so socially we say right action right livelihood right friendship 
uh, right speech, all of that's terribly important, as much as you can. So when you have opportunities of moving away from toxic people, do so. Don't think that you have to save all toxic people in the world. Uh, we're, we're Hinayana. <laughs> if someone's toxic and you can't help them and they're overwhelming you, it's just not good for anyone. So you, you, you be careful, you know, you're careful in that way. And then any, any, any livelihoods which will take you into situation, if you have choices, when you have those options, which we're going to make life more complex, why am I picking up the complexity? Because I like the excitement, okay. I like the excitement, but I'll pay the price. I'm happy to pay the price because I like the excitement. Um, but if, if you have a choice and, and you can go to something which is more, con more spacious, spacious would be important, then you have more chance to contemplate, then you have more chance to see how you're getting overwhelmed. So these are the ideals. But if you, you're in a family situation and parents are dysfunctional or someone's dysfunctional, you still have to be with that and, and, and be the best you can. So then it's very important to have time on your own to regroup, to, to really get, get, get a hold of what's going on in your mind and what kind of habitual, what kind of conditioning the day has created into, into your mind. And is that moving in a really unskillful direction? In other words, are you getting burnt out or stressed out in ways where you are no longer mindful, right? And that the way you monitor that is by not doing, by vacations, retreats, times on your own, Sabbath days, days of meditation, afternoons of meditation. Somehow you get out of the hurly-burly and you see what's, what's happened to my mind. What's the result of those environments on my mind? That gives you some insight of those situations which are are becoming very corroded or corroding you and those situations which you're actually learning from. So some complexity teaches you. You, you. you just get more adept at equanimity and then some situations just start to burn you out and then you have to try to you know, shift lifestyles if you can. And then, then, the, the, then, then using those very situations which make you ungraceful, which make you harsh or, or, or whatever you might define as ungraceful, Okay, those become your, your themes of meditation. So you have a yearning now for a graceful life. Good. That's a good way to look at it. And then you, then you, you, you see, oh, this, this speech was quite aggressive or, or this situation was whatever. And okay, I'd like, I'd like to be more mindful of that. So your aspiration towards grace becomes a mirror to that which is ungraceful. And then, you, then from that mirroring, Rather than judging yourself as being ungraceful, you say, ah, oh, this is the arising of a lack of grace. That's what you want to see, just how that whole pattern begins. I was saying in, in yesterday's talk, um, I'm, we've got a fabulous workshop over here, and I'm just trying to learn joinery. And I have a, I have a bad habit when I work, because I kind of start off quite mindful, but when I start to approach the end of a, 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 of a project, I get rushed. And I and I and I start to make sloppy measurements and you know and dangerous with the, with the tools, but also just it's not a good habit. And then I and I blow a good job which I've been doing. And I just so I'm using that to look at that habit rather than you idiot, very dumb, which which is easy to do. I'm actually using the work to look at at what point do I start to get impatient, at what point do I get lazy and not go back and and correct my work, you know, and, and, and make a good job of it. And so then it's been quite interesting just watching, oh, yeah, you know, okay, okay, no, 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 all right. 
Now I could just walk away from the work if it's really bad. I say, no, 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 no. This is what you're using now. I'm using this joinery now to be more calm and to be more precise and to be more accurate. Not for the product, the product is nice, but actually develop my mind. So I make the intention around the area where I'm ungraceful. Right? And then I see, it comes up, oh, okay. And then if, as I see it's arising, then I have a choice. Then I have some choice. Yeah? Um, you said, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> but you see how, how you, you sort of introduce practice to everything all the time. And then it's really interesting. And and then then you 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 know you're not demanding. Well, the beauty of this is you're not demanding that you be different. You're just not encouraging. You're, you're first of awakening to the habits which are ungraceful, and then you're not encouraging them, and then they die away. You're you're not you know you're not sitting in constant self hatred and self disparagement around these habits, but you're you're making an attention to awaken to them. By awakening to them, you're making. Then you have a choice whether to encourage them or not. And as they're not encouraged, they're not fueled, they're not energized. They begin to fall away. So it always has this kind of compassionate basis to it, and interest. You know, I'm 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 not in, I'm I'm interested in joinery, but I'm more interested in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so you that's what you're trying to do in Dharma. Is like make the make your whole existence a monastery. You know, make everything something that really is edifying and rewarding on many levels. And it's, it, it makes all life meaningful. That's the beauty of it. Even the hassles are meaningful. Yes? That's a very common one. Well, to some extent, you seem to have the luxury of choice, right? So that's our culture. For, for many people, they don't have a choice. They just got to get bread on the table and, and pay for some place to, to live, and they grab any job they can get, right? So, so you're in a fortunate position that I don't know what your position is, but you have some space to make those kind of choices. And... On on one hand, it's good to look for right livelihood, but also you want to be careful not to try to find perfect livelihood because that could be a lifetime misadventure. <laughs> so you you know, you know kind of you, you settle for the fact that all livelihoods are unsatisfactory. Or someone just told me, all marriages are a mistake. <laughs> I don't know. Some counselor said that to someone. Sorry, I've never been married. <laughs> uh, you talk to me later about that. <laughs> but <laughs> all all livelihoods are unsatisfactory. It's a way of just they're no, like like I really like being a monk, right? It's 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 a good livelihood. Um, but I don't always like being a monk, and there's lots of things I'd like to make unmonkish, and uh, there's lots of things I think is silly and so on and so forth but it's good enough it's good enough so so what you what you want to what you want to do is also look at doubt in the mind it's it oftentimes with these questions it's not just about livelihood it's about the v- very nature of doubt the doubt itself 
is is a condition of mind, and because it see it it seeks perfection in answers, it quite often just keeps us passive. And you look like if you if you if you if if a person has a lot of doubt in in starting a a person who has no foresight, has no doubt, they just rush into something and make a mess of it. That's one extreme. Another person who prevaricates too much, or dithers, as we say, in England, uh, never starts anything, never gets anything, never takes the risk, never takes a challenge, never sees limitations, and so on. So, so that mind, which always sees limitations of things, can be very, not crippling, but, but um, disabling in, in some sense, because you never... You never do it. You never really go for it. And the opposite extreme is just doing things. So if you look at livelihood as not so much something that you can offer to the world, but more something you can practice within, is this livelihood uh, something where I can practice mindfulness, where I can learn about myself, where I can learn about myself with people, um, where I can see my, my fears and, and all of that, then it becomes more like like a monastery in a sense. It's not perfect, but it's good enough, and I can learn about myself. If, it's, if, if you objectify it too much, it, right livelihood is always like an objective thing in where I can do this, this, and that, then it's very hard to get right. But if it's more like a subjective thing, you know, I'm not harming anybody, I'm doing my best, able to pay the mortgage, get food on the table, and I can learn, I can learn about myself. Then, then that that aspect of right, right livelihood—that it's a, a method of practice, a vehicle for practice—that becomes alive. And then, and then, if you can't get you know a really good livelihood, and you have to do something which is is less than your skills allow, then that becomes your practice. You know, oh, okay, so this feels frustrating and so on, but I'm going to work with that because I have to. I have to do. I have to do something. So the same, you know, as as an analogy in monasteries, when when monks become disgruntled with the abbot or with the community or with the poly chanting, and they think, oh, I don't like this. This is this, you know, this isn't really. This must be a better Zen. Must be better than this. Oh, I like the Tibetans and so on. You know, they go to the Zen to Tibetan, and the same problem, same problem arises. But if they say, well, pretty good deal. We got deer, we got food. <laughs> And it's amazing, you know, when when you come into this place, it's pretty, ama- you know, it's such a good deal, and yet you know, you live with a good deal for a while. It's, it's kind of it's a boring deal. <laughs> so, um, if you see it as practice, then it's kind of much more helpful way. John, yeah, yes, most jobs do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that 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 that's very true in monasteries too, where sometimes monks think, Well, I've came here just to be alone and meditate. You know, they kind of think, Yeah, well, I'm here to meditate, you just feed me and I'll go and meditate. It's my right. Oh, really? Okay, I'll take care of you. <laughs> I said, Get out of here <laughs> So it's a kind of sense that you know that dealing with people isn't isn't meditation but actually that's so much learning in there isn't there so much learning 
Yes. Is the other person moral? Generally? Yes, though in this area of her life, I am. Is the person reflective? Yes. Okay, they're reflective. I mean, those are the kind of criteria uh, that you, you think. First of all, is, is this person basically ethical so I don't get drawn into unethical things? Is this person reflective so that if there's some kind of disagreement, the person's willing to reflect and and take on board um, disagreements and working through them? So that's important. But the I, I think there is a common Western idea that because you've got a difficulty, you have to stay with it. <laughs> and that's another position we take. You know, this person's really difficult, so I'm just going to work through it until I work through it. But why? Why Why necessarily is that the case? Because so, sometimes, um, you know, solitude is much better, uh, more useful. Sometimes we feel that we have to save people. Uh, you know, so someone is in trouble, and then you kind of have this kind of, well, I have to save them and take care of them, which can be good. But it can't be another position that I take and that I have to do and I have to do that. So what you what I would suggest is you look at the, the have-tos in your mind about how you live your life and how you live with friendships. So that one where I have to be with someone, well, sometimes you don't. Sometimes Some people you have to be with. You have to be with your parents, right? Or, or Well, sometimes you don't have to be with your parents or whatever. But, you know, some things are necessary, but some things are not necessary. And the choosing of spiritual friends is very, very important. And if one of the cri- criteria I, I think that is good to see that if you're with a person and then you're carrying them around in your head for another 12 hours, is that going to be helpful for you or for anyone? If you're with a person and in the moment you're working through and you're watching and you're getting strength and, and there's, you know, there's a sharing in some way and you walk away feeling on the whole stronger, rather than more overwhelmed, then th- that seems to me a good way to go. But if I, you know, like if, I, if, I'm in a, if I'm in a monastery and I live with nine monks and eight, seven other monks and, and, and lay people, okay, that's what I have to live with, right? And if I'm knocking, if, if, so, if I'm carrying around one of the monks in my head for, for 
like the whole day. I know, oh, I got some stuff here. I have to look at that. Okay? But everyone's moral and everyone's reflective and everyone's a contemplative. If someone in the monastery was just overwhelming me and, and it was just felt, this is, this, is, this is not being a bhikkhu. This isn't right. I'd leave. You know, I'd leave. I'd go away. So both, both are true. Um, but, say, in our situation, if one monk is, is behaving non-monkish, uh, <laughs> we call him on it. We say, I'm sorry, you, you know, you can't do that. You just can't, you can't speak like that. No, you can't use resources like that. No, you can't do your own thing. I'm sorry. We, we, you know, it's, it's straight. So we have a common agreement. In French, sometimes you don't have a common agreement. What's right? What, what is right speech? What is right sharing? And then it can get kind of confused as well. So there's kind of many things to look at. Look at like that I must do something with another person. Look at that. Look at like are you, are you, are you really gaining insight and uh, from this, or is it just getting kind of uh, habitual and and and, and negative? Um, do you have to save the person? That kind of thing. Uh, and and don't be don't be shy to 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 go your own way. There's nothing, you know. Unless you have a moral commitment to the person in some way, that's different. But if you don't, it's certainly okay to go your own way. Quite skillful, really. Um, friendships are funny. Sometimes they're they're quite difficult. Um, how, you know, then loyalty. Loyalty is another one. Loyalty can be very, um, very beautiful, but also very. I've suffered a lot from loyalty. I've been really loyal to people. And I and I've misjudged them, and then my loyalty has made me make uh, bad decisions for the community because I've just been loyal, 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 loyal. And then I realize I misread them. I misread them, and everyone else read them better than me. And then mm, okay, I was attached to loyalty, and I, how who I should be. So the sense of self that arises in all these different ways is is quite quite powerful in, in human relationships. Yeah, so there's no real answer there, but but the, your contemplation is important, and not to feel compelled one way or the other, and like like that one where I, I you know, uh, I'm drowning, so I should stay in the pool. It's not <laughs> it's it's not a good one. <laughs> I should learn to swim. <laughs> okay, all right. So, shall we cash in our chips?